And we are live back with another episode of Shift Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the Autism Sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good today. I'm excited about our guest. Laura is here with us, and I should say Laura Kirby, so that our listeners um, can know, but I know that we're going to have all of your information um, available, and then I've already said, I mean, when your book came out, I can't tell you how many people, I was like, get it, get it now, get it, buy buy it now. (laughs) It's very, very needed. So Laura, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners so they know a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. Um, So as you said, I'm Laura Kirby, and I am the founder of an organization called PAST, which which stands for Positive Assessment Support and Training. Um, My background is teaching. So I started teaching 21, well, almost 22 years ago in um, what we call the FE sector, the further education sector here in the UK. So I started working in in a large college in the London borough of Kingston. Um, but I worked in their supported learning department. So I was working with learners um, who had a, a wide range of needs, but mainly autism, ADA, sorry, ADHD, a lot who were then diagnosed with ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder. Um, I specialised in autism after about five years, and then I became um, an assistant head and then a head teacher at a specialist school for children who had a primary diagnosis of what we then called Asperger syndrome. Um, It was working there where where I first heard the term pathological demand avoidance. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I left that school 10 years ago and set up PAST. So PAST is exactly what it says. We we do assessments. So I work um, in two multidisciplinary um, assessment teams. So I do autism and um, PDA assessments, which is really interesting work. We provide a lot of support to families who have neurodivergent children. And we I also do a lot of training in schools and colleges. Um, I am also a director of an organization called KITE and KITE provides um, bespoke tutoring packages for children who can't go to school um so we have 53 children in our kite service um it's a very difficult package for parents to get it's funded from the government but the parents have to be able to prove that no school or college can meet the young person's needs Mm -hmm. um and then they get awarded something called aotis which is educated other than in school um and we have, as I said, we have 53 children in that service and um, all but a, a few, like almost all of them are autistic with a PDA profile. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes sense. And then, yeah, it does make complete sense. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And then um, I'm also ADHD. I have an ADHD diagnosis. I also feel that I am autistic. I'm not diagnosed autistic, but I certainly have a lot of autistic characteristics. Mm-hmm. And I'm a parent to two two children. Well, children, they're men now. My eldest son's 20. He he's was diagnosed with ADHD when he was 12. And then my younger son, Finn, is neurotypical, but with a neurological illness. Right. So it. we're quite an interesting bunch. <laughs> I love the name Finn. That's one of my favorite names for boys. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my one of mine too. 
Yeah. Is, is that so, short for anything? It's short for Finley. He only gets called Finley like when he's in trouble. <laughs> so yes, not here in the South where I grew up, you you know you're in trouble when your mom says your first and middle name. Yes. When you hear well, that, I, I thought I thought that was just a black people thing because I'm from the north and my mom <laughs> did that too. But if she said Torn Michael Kearns, I knew I was screwed. Oh wow, she's all three names. Oh yeah, yeah. You... That's I, I maybe that's a maybe that's a northern black thing, but like that's like my whole family. Like that's if you knew you were in trouble, they used the whole name. Whole name. Yeah, I actually have that in one of my presentations. One of my parenting presentations it actually says, you know, that the sole purpose of a child's middle name is so that they can tell when they are really in trouble. Yes, it's true. Yes. So I am going to um, uh, ask one of my burning questions, which is a mm -hmm. very simple question. And I'm sure that you're asked this question all the time. Um, the listeners, uh, just to give you a little uh, sort of before we started recording, I mentioned that I was excited that Laura was here because the book is so necessary. Um, I know from my perspective, working in the field um, with teachers and parents and just doing this for over autism specific for 20 plus years. I'm so glad the book is available, right? Because there's such a need for it. But I would love to know um, what, why you thought it was necessary um, to do um, the book and, and sort of what was your motivation and drive besides the fact that people need to do better for our kids? I think the, 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 there are two reasons that mm -hmm. two reasons the, the main reason was because I feel that PDA has a very negative kind of reputation it's got a, it's got quite a bad reputation and I feel that that reputation is completely undeserved mm -hmm. um and you know I I've been working very closely with young people with PDA now particularly in the last five years since I've been working you know I, I work with a couple of young people through the tutoring service and I honestly love it like I love working with children with PDA like and the book starts with a confession actually that that work children with PDA used to scare me because I was doing everything wrong mm -hmm. and I was on the receiving end sometimes of you know very hurtful com not hurtful you know you know yeah. uh, aggressive comments yeah. mm -hmm. and you know I've had not just um insults hurled at me I've had objects mm -hmm. hurled at me as well and um, and I realized that the reason that those sessions with those young people like before I really understood PDA the reason that they were going wrong was because I was doing it wrong and then when I changed my approach and I started, you know, doing things differently and really kind of like understanding what these young people needed, that's when I started to see the absolutely amazing sides of, of working with these young people. And I just, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I'm actually most proud of about the, the kind of feedback I've got from the book is how positive it is and that, you know, you know it's not um it's not in any way inaccurate like I haven't sort of glossed over anything that like I do talk about the fact that sometimes it does go wrong mm -hmm. but I think I think 
the primary message from the book is that these are incredible young people to work with and it's so enjoyable and and, and it's so much fun yeah. when you get it right so I think the first thing was really kind of like changing that narrative about PDA the the other reason is that you know there, there are some fantastic books out there on PDA but for educators but you know having been a teacher I appreciate how time poor teachers are and I also have ADHD so I'm not great at sitting and reading like a sort of textbook type book so I wanted something that time poor teachers could read really quickly like most people say it takes them about an hour and a half to two hours to mm -hmm. read the book Mm -hmm. but in that hour and a half to two hours they've they've got so much information that they can take away so I wanted something that was positive but I wanted something that was quite different to everything else that was out there um and I was you know I was I, I've been working with Eliza Fricker who's illustrated the book um for quite a long time prior to us writing the book um and I absolutely loved her her book, The Family Experience of PDA. Um, and I'd had so much great feedback from families that I support that I and it, you know, Eliza and I were saying, we, you know, we need to do what, you know, Laura, you need to do a, an education, a educator's version of this. So that that's why I wrote it really. Wonderful. And and I mean, it's one of those things, like you said, it's not just that it's just positive, but it's something that teachers can get through. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I, yeah. And I think it also um, thinking about what you said in terms of it was scary in the beginning. I think that it makes it less scary for those who mm. don't understand and are trying to figure out because just autism itself, teachers freak out. Oh, my gosh, like they're going to throw a chair. I'm like, OK, that's mm. not the definition of autism. No, but it's not. That's not it. Um, I will um, be sort of very transparent. I've done a little mini training on introducing PDA. I'm not an expert, but um, when I first heard the term, because I know it started sort of, I think in the UK and then it's been yeah. changing, and um, I just was like, ah, oh my gosh, like it's enough we have ODD. Like, are you telling me that children just are born not wanting to have demands, right? Because it was pathological demands. Yes. And, and so I kept saying before I really understood it, right? And I kept saying, well, I've worked with so many children and you know, they didn't have a certain subcategory and, and you just have to use the strategies and be individualized and understand the children. And I just find that some children just have higher anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And it prevents and gets in the way of a lot of stuff. I think the part that um, was so insightful to me is understanding that high is a demand, Right. Yeah. That's the part that um, I try to help parents understand because people think of it as, well, I haven't asked them to do anything. Mm. Well, you've asked them to communicate because you. Yeah. Um, and so you've said, um, you know, uh, hello. And now <laughs> that's like a lot. Right. They're not maybe their words are not reliable. Maybe they're not regulated enough to respond. Maybe they're still waking up. So that was the part, I think, for me, that made it um, something I could concretely hold on to right mm. um I think and I know I'm sure that you're much more um uh, educated on the name and how they're thinking of new names because the pathological mm. part is the part that what I'm finding now in the states is parents are saying oh well I think my kid's PDA 
so I don't have to do anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't no. really matter. You still have to do the work. It just looks different. Mm. Um, and they're starting to think of anything as like if their child just doesn't want to go leave the park, right? Oh, it must be PDA. No, mm. most three-year-olds don't want to leave the park, right? Exactly. You know, a PDA kiddo is, it's like difficult, like almost 24-7 if you're not implementing the right strategies. Uh, yes. Yes. So just wanted to put that out there that I'm, mm. I'm glad that I have also... <laughs> grown and understanding. Um, it's not so much that I thought it was um, not real. I just didn't understand why we needed to have another name, why we needed another subtopic, right? Because we were yeah. already having trouble getting folks to understand autism in the schools. Yeah. But I think that it is wonderful that we now have lots of things in your book. So thank you very much for it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's really important because you know, I think you've raised some really important points that, and I, I talk about this when I'm doing PDA training, it's like, just as you've said, Stacey, you know, we put demands on people or, or children all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and it's really important that we we know when we're doing that, like, mm -hmm. like you said, just saying hello is a demand, um, you know, putting putting a worksheet down in front of a, a child is a type of demand mm -hmm. giving a child a visual timetable is basically you're giving them a mm -hmm. timetable of demands yep. um so I think that's really really important that we don't even have to open our mouths to put demands on on somebody yep. um I think it's also really important that you know we we recognize that all of us are demand avoidant you know, I can be very demand avoidant. I have an ADHD diagnosis, as I've said. There are lots of things that I avoid doing. So, like, one of one of the things that I find in, incredibly sort of difficult to start doing is report writing. But it's a really important part of my job. Um, and I do it because if I don't do it, I lose my, you know, people won't come to us for assessments anymore. But I don't enjoy doing it and I will procrastinate and I will prioritize other things over than the report over my reports. And the, but the re there's a reason why I'm avoiding the, 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 the demand of writing reports. And that's because I don't find the report writing stimulating. I find the assessment stimulating. I find the assessment very interesting. I love talking to parents and I love, you know, doing the, the assessments and sort of, you know, understanding the child. I've got all that information in my head or in a notebook and then I have to come home and just put it all on a word document that's really boring mm -hmm. and we we will often have families coming to us exactly like you said Stacey saying oh I think my child has PDA um and then when we do the assessment we say your child is autistic and they are demand avoidant but they're not pathologically demand avoidant and there there are important differences so what we have to look at is you know the type of demands that the child is avoiding, why they're avoiding it, and how they're avoiding that demand as well. So a child who's, like you said, like is refusing to leave the park, you can probably find rational reasons for why that child is refusing to leave the park. 
but a lot of the time with the pathological demand avoidance, the demand avoidance actually looks quite irrational. Um, and the other thing that we have to understand about PDA is it's not just external demands that cause this anxiety and then the demand avoidance. It can even be internal demands. So children will avoid things, well, not just children, individuals with PDA will avoid things that they want to do as well as the things that they don't want to do. So th these are all the things that we have to um, kind of identify mm -hmm. and then be really aware of. Like, you know, for example, I talk about this in the book, you know, I, I might, um, well, a good example from the book was the child that said to me, Laura, next week, can we do a quiz on Aztecs and Incas? And I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to do that. So, you know, I spent some time in between our sessions creating this quiz all about Aztecs and Incas. And then the next time I saw the child, it was on Zoom because it was during lockdown. And I said to him, oh, I've done that quiz that you asked me to do on Aztecs and Incas. And it was literally a look of sheer panic that came over his face. And I, I saw him go to slam the laptop because he obviously was like, oh, no, I can't do it now. So that was a good example. And, and I, I came up with a little strategy to, to help him get, get through it. But, you know, in, if someone didn't understand that internal demand avoidance that that created, they might say, well, come on, you know, hang on a minute. I spent a lot of time putting this quiz together for you um, and, and sort of almost would have like increased the demand on him by, um, and increased the pressure. Um, so I think that internal demand avoidance is really important to be aware of. Yes. So listeners, this is one of those parts where I say rewind and listen to that again. Yeah. <laughs> Because it, it's just, yeah, it's yeah, a really it's important so important. To, and, yeah. you know, I, I will um, wrap up in a nutshell what you said in terms of if the adults, teachers, therapists, parents would not make it about them and actually mm. see what the child is experiencing, experiencing, then they will less likely make it sort of escalate. Um, escalated because that's exactly what happens. Well, I spent time making this quiz. It's like, okay, so is it really <laughs> like, who is this really about? Right. And that's exactly. what the adults get sort of caught up in. Um, yeah. The other part is I love that you brought up the internal because um, in Torrent, I'm going to stop talking after this <laughs> because a lot of parents, I work with parents, and so trying to get them to sort of understand, and they'll say things like, well, I don't, you know, it, I'm not demanding, I just said, you can go play. Mm. That is a demand of making a choice. What do I play with? Where yeah. do I go play? Who do I, like, that's a lot to yeah. put on some individuals, right? Some not, but some individuals it is, and I think that it's hard for them to see that perspective because it seems so irrational and simple. Mm you can do whatever you want. Mm. That's a difficult task for a lot of people um, yeah. to, to do whatever you want and make a choice around either play or read a book or whatever it is that, that mm. Um, mm. they have an option for. So I think it's the more books, you know, that we have available and parents are, are starting to educate themselves. Um, is the assessment that you all are doing, is there something similar um, in the States? Because I do, I like what you said about parents coming because that's what you know oh they don't want to follow direction they must be pda I'm like, okay mm. let's 
let's break it down. Is that available in the United States or is anyone doing that? Um, I believe that there are, there are some, um, yes, I believe that there are okay. some um, uh, professionals in the US that are, okay. are, are assessing for PDA. I think, I think the US is a little further behind us in terms yeah. of sort of understanding of PDA and assessments and everything. Um, you know, we, I'm very lucky that I work with the most amazing psychologists who really, they really understand because we do use the ADOS as part of the autism assessment, but you also have to, well, sometimes we have to heavily adapt it because the child is so demand avoidant that the things, the tasks that we're asking them to do just instantly don't work. One of my colleagues actually did an ADOS the other day and the young person was up a tree for the pretty much the duration of the ADOS. But we have to look, you, you, you know, the ADOS is looking at a particular type of autism presentation and we have to sort of look around that. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I mean, I, I hate talking about eye contact in the context of autism mm -hmm. because it's irrelevant. It's, yeah. <laughs> but for example, like the, the ADOS does talk about eye contact. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I don't even I just skip that section a lot of the time anyway. But, it, it, you know, you have to sort of be aware of the differences. Mm -hmm. um in in an autism sort of a, a more typical presentation of autism and also we have to be very aware that some of the children that we are assessing are coming in and they are masking like absolute pros yeah. um and they will be you know because sometimes parents will say I'm really worried that they're not going to engage with you in the assessment because they're so demandful and they'll come in and they'll do they'll do all the tasks but you you can see that they're kind of doing it in a bit of a character or a bit of a role. Mm -hmm. So you have to look, we, we get a huge amount of information. We don't just use ADOS. We, we, we well, they, our assessments take a long, yeah. long time because we have to get so much information. And for our listeners who might not be familiar, what exactly is ADOS? ADOS is, I can never remember what it stands for, Autism Diagnostic something or other it's basically um like a play-based or an activity-based assessment that assesses for autism so it looks at um sort of social interaction um social communication um there's tasks that the young person is asked to do we look at how they perform the task their level of creativity etc you you can't base an autism assessment purely on an ados assessment but it's part of a, a a puzzle, basically, that we we then piece together. I see. Is that in the UK only, or do they have that in other places as well? I I think it's used in other places as well. Because I remember, I, I I I I think I might have gotten that. Maybe I didn't a few episodes ago. More than a few episodes ago, I read some of my old assessments. I remember seeing uh, something like you? that. Yeah. So did they ask you, one of the first tasks is they ask you to kind of put like a puzzle together and it's not, it doesn't quite go together. It's kind of like, and and it, and then we ask for the people to kind of tell us what they think it looks like. So it's quite an abstract puzzle. So that's the They might have. The paperwork I had didn't really list the stuff they did. They sort uh, of just gave okay. me the results. Okay. And, and, and in a very pathological manner because I was yeah. diagnosed 20 plus years ago oh, okay. so maybe i may, maybe i didn't get that exact test but i did remember i got a series of assessments that like you said 
were put together to get a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we do need to be very very mindful though that um, PDA is not on is not overdiagnosed just because somebody is mm. demand avoidant and they might they might be autistic and demand avoidant but that doesn't mean that they are PDA. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I I I think it comes from some parents are always looking for a reason they don't have to do the work. <laughs> like, I mean, I work with enough parents to be very honest about, it's like, oh, great, there's this new thing. So now I don't have, you know, oh, it's just, if that's it, we can't do anything about pathological demand avoidance. They're just, mm. they're just going to be but, that way. We can't do anything. Yeah. But, and I'm not yeah, saying right. they're trying to make them not pathological. They don't feel like they have to do anything different to support their needs because- mm it's just pathological and they that's it there's nothing we can mm. do yeah but I think what's also really important is to say that even if a child or young person has PDA mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they you you don't still have to put some rules in place and some oh, boundaries in place of course because we do we always have to keep children safe mm-hmm. but again I talk about this in the book that for for a young person with PDA to be able to kind of comply, if you like, with the demand, they have to know why. They has to there has to be logic and reason yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. So that so I talk about the what's in it for me factor. Like what what do I get if I'm if if I'm giving up the autonomy that is so important to me as a PDA? Mm-hmm. What do I get in return? Yes. Or if you're saying, you know. If you if you have got a rule, there can't just be pointless, arbitrary rules. There has to be a, a reason behind them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you, you wouldn't drive your car if the child wouldn't put their seatbelt on. So you can't just, you, you can't, you know, it's yeah. it, despite the fact it's illegal, it's also very dangerous. Yes. Um, so you, you can't, you, I would never say to a parent of a child with PDA, oh, don't don't worry about them putting their seatbelt on because they're 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 PDA. Like they still yeah. there are still some things that we have to do. But I think this also is something that we cover in the book. It's about asking yourself, does it really matter? Like, why am I asking the child to do this? Mm-hmm. Am I asking them because there's a really valid reason that will keep them safe? Or am I asked it's a bit like saying hi in the morning, like yeah why are you I, I, that okay you say you're being polite but that's just a sort of social construct isn't it I, I knew a child that stopped going to school because the head teacher of the school who I have to say was lovely would stand outside the school at the gate and shake every child's hand that came into the school and say good morning which is a lovely thing to do mm-hmm. but the child stopped going to school because of that demand that every morning he had to stop, shake the head teacher's hand and say, like give eye contact and say, good morning, Mr. So-and-so. So that was a, like a barrier to him even getting in the building. Yep, that makes total sense to me in terms of, you know, I always laugh and say, one of the things I love about, um, you know, specifically autistic kiddos, but adults as well, but children specifically, because children don't have autonomy over their time Mm. and space. I love the honesty of, I just don't feel like doing a puzzle today. I'm like, good. You know what? Fine. We'll do something else. But a lot of people, adults cannot accept that Mm. um, because it becomes about them. And I love what you said about 
why is it, is it really necessary? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes culture dictates parents yeah. not being able to, I mean, I work with families in cultures that are very rigid. The expectations are very high or there is like shame beyond no, or you can't even go to the grocery store and people won't talk to you. I mean, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. So parents are culturally driven to like, I don't understand why they're not doing everything that I say to do. What I'd like to know from you is, do you find, and this is just my, what's that new word that lived experience, (laughs) not research-based. I find that my kiddos that um, identify sort of on that PDA profile, their parents have anxiety levels like you would not believe. And I'm just like, can you like go away and let like dad stay or vice versa? Because I feel like it's like this household of everyone's like this. And so the PDA kid is, whether it's genetic and everyone has anxiety or the parents are just that person. Do you find that there is, are you finding that, I don't know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I think, I, I think that, that that's a really interesting point that you've raised. And I think I just want to say, otherwise I'll forget. The, the reason it's really important to be aware of that is because, as I, as I again, as I talk about in the book, individuals with PDA are often hypersensitive. They're, they're, mm. they're, they're hypervigilant and they're very sensitive to other people's moods. So almost like hyper empathetic. Mm-hmm. So they will pick up on other people's anxiety. I, I think it is very difficult. I think... Um, a lot of parents that I, I work with have, since their child has been diagnosed, they themselves have either been diagnosed or started, you know, identifying that they too are neurodivergent. But I think some of that anxiety also comes from the the, the sort of the stress of of living with a child with mm-hmm. PDA, not because of the child, because of all the pressure that is then put on that parent. So whether it's pressure from the school, like their attendance isn't good enough, they're not coming in enough, like they're not wearing the correct uniform. Or it could be like you said, Stacey, like pressure from family, mm-hmm. other family members. And, you know, I know of amazing families that I've worked with who have had to say we can't see grandparents anymore like because they don't get it and they are putting so much pressure and they're like you know like manners like manners is something again manners are a demand and my 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 mum would do this like if my child took something from me my mum would say ah what do you say say thank you now my child doesn't have PDA but if you're in an environment where you've got a grandparent there and they're constantly pulling your child up on their behavior or pulling you up on your parenting that in itself is very very stressful and parenting a child with PDA goes against the grain of a how most people are told to parent and b how a lot of people have been parented themselves so i think that you know a lot of the families that i work with the parents are anxious but that's because they don't feel supported and they don't feel 
believe so i think it is a bit of a it is a, a, a chicken and egg mm -hmm. situation and partly environment and partly um that the parent they themselves are also neurodivergent yeah there are um there's some of my families that i work with just i find um for lack of a better term uh, certain stereotypes or commonalities that some cultures their stress level is high but that's the norm for everyone mm. and so it doesn't really work well for, mm -hmm. for, for some of our kids um that are sort of born into that culture um because of the demands i mean it's just mm -hmm. the demands one of um i like to share stories and so i'm going to share a quick story i love when parents say well, you know they i mean i just I just want them to say good morning to everyone. Like, you know, you're supposed to say good morning to everyone. <laughs> and so I tell the parents, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Children don't care about greetings, whether they're autistic or not. They don't care who walks in the room. You're really not that important when they're engaged in something else. I know yes. it's hard to hear. They just don't care. So that's why we have to say, tell Aunt Becky bye. Wait. I mean, everybody has Give to Give grandma a kiss. You that's know, it. all of these things. Yeah. Because... They're just not interested. And I think for some adults, it's hard for them to recognize that they're not everything to the child and yeah. the child has their own interests. Yeah. Awesome. I, I have a, a, a really lovely story as well, actually. Um, I work with a family about, oh, this is pre-lockdown, pre so a few years back now. And the, 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 the father was, um, he was like an older dad. Um, he was um a lawyer so he had you know had a very good job and and you know i think he had been privately educated and um i'd had some sessions with the the mum who was lovely and, and and she was open about the fact that they were very much at loggerheads in mm. terms of like the best way to to parent their their child that was pda and i i had a meeting with the um with the dad um at my office um, at nine o'clock in the morning and he arrived and he just seemed a bit kind of bewildered a bit sort of discombobulated and I and I said are you okay and he went I've done something today as a parent and it it goes against everything that I thought parenting would be and I said okay tell me what you've done so he said I let my child be on his iPad with his headphones on at the breakfast table this morning. And it was like this, you could tell it was so hard for him. To, and I said, okay, um, what happened? And he said, there were no arguments. There was no shouting. He got to school on time. He's in a good mood. And I got here on time too. And the world's still spinning. And I went, amazing. so you did the right thing. And he went, Laura, thank you he, he said it, but it just goes against everything that I thought that parenting would be and it's hard it's I, I appreciate it's really hard whether you're a parent or whether you're a professional P, PDA parenting PDA support PDA teaching it goes against mm -hmm. so much of what you thought that you should do but honestly when you go with it and you yep. just get in that PDA current with them it's brilliant I mean for me as a teacher I absolutely love it because 
when I worked in schools and colleges, when I worked in the education sort of system, everything was so structured and, you know, I had to do so much planning and so much, you know, I had to, it was crazy. Like when I started, went back to um, the academic year when I worked in a college in September, I had to provide schemes of work for the whole academic year, which is nuts. I can't provide a scheme of work for the next week when I'm working with a PDA because I just go with what they want to learn about and what they're interested in. So for me, as a as their kind of educator, yeah. I love that because I love the kind of spontaneity and the novelty. And I love the fact that I don't know what I'm going to be doing from one day to the next. It's literally like you want to talk about Henry VIII today. Brilliant. I love Henry VIII. Yep. The next week I could go, you want to talk about Star Wars today? Amazing. I don't know much about Star Wars. Can you teach me a bit? So it's just a, it's just a very, very different way to approach whether it's parenting. But going back to something that you said a little while ago, Stacey, I love the honesty that comes from PDA. It's like, if they think what you're doing is crap, they will tell you this is crap. Like you... And and again, like, if someone said that in a school, they'd be like, how dare you speak to me like that? Get out. I love the fact that if a, if a kid turns around to me and says, this is boring, this is rubbish, I'm like, yeah, do you know what it is, isn't it? Come on, let's yeah. do something. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I, you know, I, I realize looking back, you know, in the past five years, the kiddos that I worked with that would have identified as PDA um, but they were those kids where, um, you know, oh, can we make a magnet? Sure. Look it up on Google. See what we have to make. Right. I'm going to finish my paperwork. You let me know later and we'll sort of figure it out. Um, but uh, not every teacher is like that. So, but no. Hopefully we'll get those shifts. All right, Torin, I'm going to zip. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love this conversation because one, whenever we get to have like two professionals, because normally the flow of our podcast is Stacey's professional and I'm the jackass that comes in with my quote, <laughs> lived experience. In fact, we did an episode recently that was about like, it, it was about something about education. I think it was about inclusion because I've worked as a teacher. I was like, I actually get to give my professional opinion for once. But I really like it. But one of the things I had, one of the questions I had kicking up in my head for the last little bit is, it just seems like so much if you're a parent. Like, I'm not a parent, mm. but if you're a parent of, of someone who's autistic or PDA or both, it just seems like so much. Like, even simple things like a handshake is a demand. Uh, you can go outside if you want is a demand. It feels like I would, if I was a parent, I'd almost feel like I was walking on eggshells because simple terms of phrases that mm. everyone uses is a demand. And it's almost like you have to pick apart everything you say all the time and just thinking about that as someone who doesn't have kids it stresses me out so what would you say to parents who might feel a bit overwhelmed with having all of that stuff on top of everything else that comes along with raising an autistic kid or multiple autistic kids what would you say to help I guess calm them a little bit I, I guess it's like you know there's a there's, there's almost like a different sort of PDA language if you like so I think I think a lot of it, it goes back to what I said earlier about asking yourself does it really matter so like if your child comes downstairs in the morning you can just say hi 
but as long as you don't expect a high back, um, you can say, I think a, a, a lot with PDA is, is, is like, what's your agenda? Like if you're saying, um, oh, it's a lovely day, you know, we could go out and play in the garden if you like. If you're, if you're saying that because it's genuinely something that you want to do and you think, actually, I'd love to go out in the garden with my, with my child if they want to come with me, then that's okay. But if you're saying, oh, it's a lovely day, we should go out in the garden and your, your, your sort of hidden agenda is to get them outside. So I think it's, I think the first thing is being aware. I think the second thing is just take the pressure off yourself. Like, so if you're, if your child comes down in the morning and you say hi and they don't respond, don't take that personally. Don't think, oh my goodness, my child's going to grow up to be this terrible, like member of society because they can't even say hello. It's just about like, you know, maybe their bucket is too full in that, in the morning. But the other thing is as well, is that when you start doing something that goes against the grain, it feels rough. Okay. If you, you feel that friction. The, 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 the more you go against the grain, the smoother it gets. Mm -hmm. So like the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And someone commented to me once, they said um, that it was a parent and we, I'd been like with working with their child and they said, Oh, you're, you're so good, Laura, at using, all that language and I said what do you mean and she said I just noticed that you know you're so good at like picking your words really carefully I said I'm not like this is just how I talk now like I don't even think about it I don't have to make like conscious decisions of yeah. oh I better phrase this as a choice and oh I better not say this it just comes more naturally and you know I've worked with parents who have said that just picking their battles, reducing demands, not taking things so personally has, they've, they've described it as life transforming. And I think it's, it creates like a positive cycle. So the less anxious your child feels, the less demand avoidant they will become, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, like when you stop you know like some things like parents insist on their children coming and sitting down at the dinner table I'm like why are you insisting on that like sitting at the dinner table is a demand it's also a very difficult sensory experience for a lot of children so just say you know dinner's ready you can have it in your bedroom if you like you can have it upstairs what parents say to me is because I've taken that pressure off them like doesn't happen overnight but eventually the child will just come down and sit at the table beautifully said so, i love that i just love that it and for parents who are listening um if you just take the risk and be proactive mm -hmm. and do something that makes you uncomfortable against the grain it does get easier and it gets easier because you don't have meltdowns and frustration in your home environment mm -hmm. and it's a win-win for everybody but it's getting the buy-in right to mm -hmm. be able to do that and then sometimes the buy-in's hard because of uh, you know uh, the mother-in-law i mean my mom's the mother-in-laws are the ones that put the pressure on and some of my my families and from the cultures and, and the places that they are from and so 
they don't feel like they have a choice, right? Mm. Because it's just, this is what we do. Mm. Um, there's no, uh, what do I always joke and say, um, Torin, uh, uh, in the South, uh, uh, you know, my uh, old uh, Black grandmothers with a child with cerebral palsy in a wheelchair, if they knock something over with their wheelchair, they're like, I don't care if you have cerebral palsy, you better figure out how to pick up that. Something you drop like it's just the expectation is we love you but you better figure it out right so mm. it because it's what you do right it's what you've been trained for generations to do yeah and so, it's probably how you've also been parented like exactly. so you've got to undo all of that as well exactly so for the parents that we get to get the buy-in and they're shifting the way they parent and they are changing their language um what would be your advice for them um, because the schools everywhere, I don't care if it's Australia, America, UK, getting the teachers to get buy-in mm. um, and some parents for whatever reason are not able to homeschool. Um, yeah. So what is your suggestion for parents to have, to advocate, like what should they bring to the IEP meeting, right? What should they recommend My book. they do? Yeah, your book is one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, no, 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 your book. I, I have told, when I say I've told people, I have, I have every principal I've worked with, every admin, I'm like, here, click, link, buy, make your staff read it. Like, we've got to get. Well, thank you. We got I, to. <laughs> I, I think it's, I, I think it, it's probably similar to what we've just been talking about with parenting It's probably having some empathy with those teachers that this is going to be very different mm -hmm. to what you thought teaching my or teaching a child was going to be about. And I, I appreciate this is going to be a mind shift for you. But it, again, it can just be something simple. It can be like you know understanding that standing over a child waiting for them to start doing their work is a demand it's a silent demand it can be like just understanding that like I mentioned earlier putting a sheet of work in front of a child is a silent demand so I think you know educating the the, the teachers that everything is a demand um and then giving them I think working collaboratively as well so like for parents to say like we appreciate this is very different to what you've done before but we we would like to collaborate with you and just simple things like you know offering the child a, a, a choice of two two pieces of work one of my favorite choices is would you like some time to start this on your own or would you like to sit and sit me to help you or would you like someone to help you do you want to use a pen or a pencil just like just giving giving them those little tips um and I think the other thing is as well is understanding that you know children who have PDA are also autistic so they are going to need like those sensory breaks they are going to need that time out as well so I think it's just it's about educating educators but in a really empathetic way like I, I understand this is very different to what you may have learned before you know directing them to other resources like the PDA Society website you know all of those things and but also empathize I know you're really busy but this might be really helpful mm -hmm. um and then and, and you know the, the the final 
chapter in the book is all about kind of collaboration and I just think that is so important like try and work with your child's school not like against them Mm -hmm. um I know that's sometimes hard because you know I'm a teacher by background and and I've worked with some incredible teachers who have done amazing work with children with PDA but then I've also worked with some teachers that are just not right like they they might be great with some other children but with the child with PDA they're just not the right fit they're too rigid they're 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 not going to pick those battles they're going to insist like you need to write the the date in your book why why does a child need to write their date in the book you can do that for them like they're not learning anything by writing the date but really are they the date is more for the teacher so they can go back and like say this is what the child did on that day so yeah I think that that you know it's almost going to be the same approach as I would use the learner with PDA it's like to inspire them rather than to instruct them so inspiring them on the best way to work with children with PDA rather than sort of instructing them I will I will take that and and think about that and work on that because (laughs) I think I've passed the I think I'm past the empathetic approach because I'm just so frustrated with mm. teachers and the it, it, it that... can it can be incredibly yeah. frustrating. Yeah. I, I I went to a really difficult meeting a little while ago, and um, I felt so much hostility oh. from the school, um, and they were. Uh, they they kind of said to me at the end of the meeting, Laura, we just you you clearly just don't have an understanding of how a school works. And I thought, yeah. really? <laughs> I actually um, stopped doing school meetings. My mental health, I couldn't. I just couldn't. It's really just, hard. Yeah. But but I but I have, you know, I one of the things I want to say is I am not anti-school for children yeah. with PDA. Yeah. Because I have worked with some amazing yeah. schools. who have literally changed children's lives like and they they are the ones that get it I would say the best schools I've worked with have had it's been a top-down approach so like the the head teacher in the school the the kind of more senior people in the school they've really got it and then they've kind of like that understanding has flowed down Mm -hmm. so everyone in the school feels really supported I think where I found it has been less successful is when we when I've had fantastic like support staff we call them learning support Mm -hmm. assistants or teaching assistants and even some teachers and they've really got it and then they've wanted to adopt this kind of very autonomous low demand approach for the child and they the 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 people above them have kind of like said no we don't do that here yeah 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 and And, and I see the same thing I see the same thing and that's one of the things that we used to try well when I worked in a different um with the schools we worked on we've got to shift the administration because they're the ones that set the in the culture for what's expected and a lot of times the teachers who do okay with accepting that autonomy the other teachers just treat them like horribly I mean it's just shameful um and a lot of people are not as strong and and sort of being sort of the only one um 
doubt. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. My kid, my classroom was never like the principal wanted it, but all my kids did everyone. I mean, you could walk in my class, somebody may be under a desk working, laying on the floor, hanging in a swing. Exactly. Got done. I, I didn't have any, I mean, yes, we had meltdowns every now and then, but I, the, everything was completed within a reasonable, timely manner. Um, uh, and, and I, not that I want to make this about me, but just trying to give examples for parents for the school, you know, simple things like just saying, just let me know when you're ready. I mean, when I do virtual homeschool, I have a couple of kids, one of my wonderful kids, she's, she's just not a fan of school, any school, doesn't matter what it is, she just doesn't want to go to school. And she's like, no way, like that's her phrase for everything. You want ice cream? No way. <laughs> I told her I was going to get her a shirt. So all I do is when she, it's time for us to work, I just say, well, just let me know when you're ready. Or I'll yeah. say, do you want to watch an animal video to start? And we just watch an animal video. And if we, if I give, and if teachers would learn to give a little bit, right? Like give five minutes to watch a YouTube video, even though it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the math lesson. And they're going to give you so much more back. Yeah, like exactly. understanding because they know you're not going to put them in a position that they can't get out of. You're mm. going to allow them to take a break if they need it. You're going to. It, it comes back to autonomy again. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's no, it. I, 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 re I really like that. And we are running up against time. Laura, is there any last things you'd like to say? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I can't believe how quickly. Well, thank thank you for coming on. Thank no, you. No, it's been brilliant. I, I've, I feel like I have so much more to say. I maybe I'll have to come back. Um, oh, well, you're more than welcome to come back. Yes. Feel free I'd love to, to yes. come back. I, I, I think whether you're a parent or whether you are a professional listening to this, the most important thing that, that, that you have to do when you work with a PDA or you're parenting a PDA is, is, if, is have that trust and that connection. So that's like, I talk about that in the book, the antidote to anxiety is trust. And I think just take the plunge like give yourself permission to do it differently to get whether you're parenting differently or teaching differently go with your gut and it, like I said it might feel a bit uncomfortable at first but I promise you if you just kind of like give in to that autonomy that the young person needs it, it is it is transformative it is mm -hmm. completely transformative yeah. you, you end up doing making a magnet and the other stuff that the school required <laughs> because mm -hmm. you have given them that autonomy um i'd like to just say to the listeners one of the things that i i you you've said so many like i'm gonna go back and listen and write it down um i love the idea of educating the teachers that everything is a demand. Like, I think that's the part that starts that sort of getting them to have that compassion, because I don't think people realize that good morning is a demand, yeah. right? Shoving the French fry in their face because you like French fries. Oh my gosh, that's such a demand. Giving someone a tissue because they've sneezed. Like you think you're being helpful, but it's, a, it's still a demand. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, all right, Torin, what do you have to say? I didn't, you didn't get to your question, so we're going to have to do part two. <laughs> um, to be honest, well, to be honest, like, you answered a lot of my questions in the conversation, so I didn't really have to, to ask them, but yeah, we would love to have you come back on, because you're, you're, such a, you're such a wealth of knowledge that there's just 
no way we could have covered everything in one episode. But yeah, I don't really have much to say. I just think it was a really informative episode. I think our parents are going to love it. It's going to help a lot of people, especially because I don't think we've had a PDA episode. We've done almost 60 episodes. I don't think we've had one. And we've barely touched upon it. And I kind of don't know why, but it it worked out. We were waiting on Laura to write her book. Yeah, exactly. I'm writing another one now as well. I'm writing. By the way, what is the name of the book? Go ahead. Sorry. The the Cara book is. I know you can't see it because it's 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 the educator's experience of pathological demand avoidance, um, illustrated by Eliza uh, Eliza Kirby, Eliza Fricker. Um, and I'm currently writing uh, a second book, which is going to be released hopefully in January next year, which is going to be the Teenager's Guide to PDA because there's very little out there for teenagers like everything is written either for parents or educators and even the stuff for parents and there are some books for children with PDA but they're very much younger children so we're we're writing Eliza and I it's another joint project and it's very much aimed at teenagers and and how they can understand their PDA and when it comes when it comes out or even when it goes up pre-order I'm not sure how you're doing it but uh when it does we will definitely have you back on I'd because love to come a lot of people could, could, could use books like that. And of course, the link to all that will be in the description for anybody listening. But um, yeah, thank you for coming on. And Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. <laughs>